Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rowan and the Wasteland, where we where we discuss a film and honor its place amongst its peers. My name is Rowan Wood, and joining me as always, he won't get that old, so don't worry. It's Shane Kanto, ladies and gentlemen. I hope I get that old. <laughs> and I'm also younger than most people think. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. Um today we are talking about. Oh, I guess Shane, this this was your pick. You do the introduction on this one. I will with my curl of gray hair that has become <laughs> noticeable after I recently. What are you, got a what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I can't see anything. You're fooling yourself. I was just <laughs> editing videos and I'm just like, well, there it is. There's just a curl <laughs> plopped up in my head. And it fits because we're talking about grandparents. Yeah. Um, from Yasujiro Ozu. This is Tokyo Story, which is a drama from 19. 19- 53 an old couple visits their children and grandchildren in the city but received little attention disrespect <laughs> yeah um this is a very understated movie mm-hmm. um it's a like very character focused and very the word i use when in 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 my notes was very human because it feels like very like we're seeing the daily routine of these people sort of get interrupted by this occurrence, which is the grandparents visiting. And then another occurrence near the end of the movie that sort of uproots their life again, that probably should be more of a big deal than it eventually turns out to be for the, for the characters. Um, And this is like, this is one of those movies that is just critically acclaimed across the board and is supposed to be just absolutely fantastic. It's near the top of the sight and sound poll every time they do it. Um, It's, it's widely agreed uh, upon to be one of the greatest uh, ever made. Um, So it, 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 it only makes sense that, uh, you know, neither of us had seen it and we are both film aficionados. uh, And so of course we had to check it out. Um, So Shane, what did you think of, uh, of Tokyo story? I thought this was a, moving film that felt very relatable because family tensions can be tense um no from experience and it's it's that unfortunate balancing act of everybody has their own lives and you have people in your life that might not have the same expectations in their day-to-day life and you know family wants to see each other sometimes family can be disruptive to your day-to-day life and it this film poses a lot of awkward and uncomfortable kinds of occurrences between these family members mm-hmm. and some odd connections that you won't ex- don't necessarily expect and i think this film hit pretty close to me because I know I struggle with like the balance of like gotta see my dad gotta see my mom try to see my brother who lives mm-hmm. 10 hours away <laughs> and it's all of those kinds of things and like I recently went on a trip to go visit my brother and you know with my mom and everything and things didn't necessarily work out how everybody expected because having people show up for days to disrupt your life can be potentially disruptive Mm -hmm. i think this film captures those things in a very interesting way and also piggybacks off of some bigger things and like the aftermath of world war ii Mm -hmm. you could still feel some of those ramifications there and you're right this is very understated and 
even in the like there are some moments where people like emotions raise and people get frustrated mm-hmm. you know i wouldn't want my dad to show up drunk with his friend in the yeah. middle of the night at my home um but i do think that like this film i probably think resonates with a lot of people because they could feel those kinds of things that this film presents absolutely yeah it's it's you get empathy for these main characters very quickly um just yeah. based on with the part of their lives that this that the movie shows you um and it puts you into into the heads of pretty much every character while not really having any narration or not having mm-hmm. anything that would sort of explicitly um like exposit their 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 thought processes uh that's one of the things that this movie is fantastic at is um is like it 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 teaches you how to be intuitive with these characters very fast based Mm -hmm. on what they're doing and how they are speaking and who they're speaking to and like a a mixture and a combination of all of those um especially the thing that stuck out most to me was the grandparents and, and, and how Mm -hmm. this movie was, you know, of course their visit is the crux of the whole thing. And I saw this movie about like, especially their, their scenes and their story was about what it feels like to age and watch everyone um, in your life be so much younger and have the rest of their lives ahead of you and maybe Mm -hmm. not have too much to look forward to yourself um but but while also being reflective about your your, like your own life and it makes me think of um uh barbie which just came out uh the line that ria seahorn says at the end which was um uh mothers stand still so their daughters can move forward or something along those lines and that line i think that line was sort of stuck in my head while i was Mm -hmm. watching this movie and and thinking about the relationship that the especially the grandmother i feel like her like she is the focal point of the whole thing and her um her storyline is very just i i I think that 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 line sort of sums up her attitude Mm -hmm. in in this movie the whole time but not just about daughters about her whole family um and how she doesn't necessarily feel um the warmth that she expected from her blood relatives it's only her her daughter-in-law norio who who shows her and her husband like real and actual kindness Mm -hmm. um and and like throughout the whole thing uh yeah i don't know uh it's i see this movie as like just a true classic uh and i i would say i appreciate it more than i like it um because this movie is not exactly my preferred style and it it felt very slow to me but that doesn't mean it's bad in fact i think it's fantastic and i agree with those people who say that it's one of the greatest films ever made it's just not one of my favorites and there is definitely Mm -hmm. a distinction there well yeah and i do think that the relationship between the grandmother and the widowed daughter-in-law is I think the most interesting piece of this film Mm -hmm. and to your point it's like her perspective of like really trying to push her uh widowed daughter-in-law it's like hey don't wait around go live life go get married again Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where it's just like she's coming from a very different perspective after living this whole entire life and just being like hey you gotta live your life don't sit around missing my son yeah uh kind of thing and it's one of the i do appreciate the 
Like this reminds me of Cat's Cradle by Harry Chaplin, that song, because it's like the grandparents come thinking that they're going to like everybody's going to drop everything for them. It's like, hey, my grandparents are coming. Uh, my parents are coming. And it's just like, no, it's just like, what are you doing here? And the whole entire song, what it's when it leads up to the end where the son is just like, sorry, dad, I can't make time. Kids are sick, busy at work. And it's just like, yep, they grow up. Yeah. It's not like they're your kids who are children who basically are at your beck and whim at all the time and you're with them all the time. It's, and I think this film captures that challenge of getting to that place in your life where you don't have that kind of presence in your children's lives anymore and i think that's pretty resonant and trust me i i watched it firsthand um because and it's because i know on my own personal trip that i went on like my mom was frustrated because it just kind of the expectation was like hey the kids are going to be with us the whole entire time we're here we're going to get to see my nephews it's like no they have other plans they're kids also, maybe they don't want to spend time with us. We haven't seen them in three and a half years. Right. Um, and it's it's a very interesting thing because this is one of those kinds of films that is just like, in the, if you're in the right place, it feels so real. And that's the thing. It's go- Ozu's definitely going for a very realistic, very humanistic kind of experience. And I think this is going to be an interesting film that as you go grow older... I, I would feel really interested to watch this when hopefully someday I become a grandparent and just be like, wow, this hits a whole different way <laughs> and coming from a different perspective. Because like, as of right now, I'm one of the adult kids and <laughs> it's a, it's an, in, it's an interesting dynamic watching this film and really thinking about that and processing it, but hopefully being able to actually take a step back and think about where the grandparents are coming from. But it definitely has some interesting twists and turns from like a dramatic standpoint, but I I thought this was a really impressive film and it hit me, obviously, on a personal level. So there you go. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where does this film rank in the now 64 films that we've watched for Rowan and the Wasteland? So many. So I know, wow. This is definitely a lot higher than yours, but mine mm. is at number 12. Right below Red Shoes and Crazy Stupid Love. Nice. It is number 44 for me. This might be the most disparate I think we've ever been. Mm-hmm. Um, it is above the jazz singer and below frequently asked questions about time travel. Again, not indicative of quality, indicative of personal preference. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel I feel the need to impress that there is once again a difference. Um, but we have three categories to talk about today. That is uh, grandparent movies, movies about grandparents. Uh, non-Kurosawa and non-Ghibli Japanese films, and the year uh, or the decade uh, 1950s uh, in which Tokyo Story was released. In Japan, not in the US, as Shane pointed out to me before we started recording. 20 years! 20 Didn't come years. out until the 70s. Yeah. Um, which just goes to show, I think, uh, like, I don't I don't know the full reason, but I guess my, my guess is that it had something to do with um, with just the attitude towards foreign films in America at the time in the fifties and especially Japanese films. Yeah. I specifically saw like a lot of the distributors in Japan were like, this is too Japanese for people. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, 
I don't know if it's going to translate well, but you know, obviously it finally got over here and it's a classic. So, right. Um, but I know Japan has a very different perspective about elderly people mm-hmm. than America does. So it would be interesting to hear like from a Japanese perspective, but anyway, absolutely. Uh, let's start off with uh, movies about grandparents. Uh, Shane, you're up first. Oh, and first, how did you interpret this category and how so what was your definition? I, I put, if the grandparents were in a significant role in the film or a grandparent grandchild relationship was a significant part of the film, because obviously this was the most open to interpretation category that we had for this particular episode. Um, But my number five is Belfast. I just love the dynamics between not Kenneth Branagh and (laughs) his grandparents, especially Kieran Hines. I absolutely loved him in that. Mm -hmm. Um, My number four is Paranorman. I love the dynamic that he has with his, you know, deceased grandmother, (laughs) which (laughs) really captures the spirit of the movie, obviously, because, you know, it's dealing with the dead and stuff like that. My number three is the Royal Tenenbaums, because this really is like, grandparents children relationships and i think honestly one of the best scenes in the whole entire movie is when royal takes his grandkids and like they're watching like all doing all kinds of things that they should not be doing which is the point those Mm -hmm. kids gotta live um my number two is kubo and the two strings because you know the whole entire movie is him going to toe toe to toe with his grandpa uh It's a it's a very interesting situation in this where it's like the grandparent is the antagonist. Um, it's like war with grandpa, except not a train wreck. Um, <laughs> I I love Kubo though. It's so beautiful and really impactful. And the, the number one, this was so easy for me. It was it's Princess Bride. Of course, the whole entire movie is about a grandpa reading his grandson a book. And just their little interludes are absolutely hilarious. It's like, Grandpa, is this a kissing book? No, just shut up and listen to the story. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway. Perfect. Um, So uh, Kubo and the Two Strings is not on my actual list, but just know that it's there in spirit because I didn't think of it. Um, that is fair my number five is jurassic park uh because lest we forget john hammond is the grandfather of uh of the two kids that are on the uh that are on the the ride uh-huh. sorry belfast <laughs> <laughs> um number four is little miss sunshine rest in peace alan arkin uh, giving so great an absolutely incredible um performance probably i would say the standout uh, aside from abigail breslin um yes. in in th- that movie he did he win best supporting actor i know he was nominated i um, think he was nominated it's like yeah. kid what are you doing don't do drugs you'd be crazy to do it you do them like i'm old i'd be crazy not to <laughs> um my number three is coco um just it's Heart so metal. incredible probably like one of the most sensitive pixar films in the way they approach like family mm-hmm. dynamics which is really saying yeah. something uh number two is the princess bride of course and number one is knives out um because uh also of course lest we forget um christopher Plummer is the grandfather of several of those kids um 
Yeah. That was, you know what? It's funny because for some reason I'm like, oh, World Tenenbaums count. And I'm thinking in my head, does Knives Out count? Oh, totally. Because <laughs> that also probably yeah. would have been totally. on my list. Why, why in my head I did I differentiated <laughs> those two? I don't know. Well, hey, you uh, know, but it's good that we have separate lists, but but like agree on each other's, right? But you know, yeah, one of his grandkids is a Nazi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. That that was the one that probably caught me the most off guard when I was watching it for the first time. Yes. I was like, what are they even saying? And why do I think it's the funniest thing ever? Um next oh, up, that family's messed up. Oh yeah. Uh, next up is Japanese films, but we are eliminating uh, Kurosawa yes. and we are eliminating Ghibli because that would make it way too easy. Um, Shane, your top five. Actually, what's funny is it would have been so hard to try to navigate how many of these are going to be Kurosawa films and how many of these are going to be Ghibli films if we right. let them in. Um, my number five is House. What mm. a weird haunted house movie so weird and an amazing poster mm-hmm. i saw that poster for years in the criterion collection I'm like what the heck is this and then i finally watched it and i still asked what the heck was this <laughs> um number four is perfect blue this is a haunting haunting anime absolutely love it uh number three is Hadakiri. uh go back and listen to our episode it was great yes. uh, number two is ghost in the shell and you know what this is this movie is just gonna grow on me even more because it's gonna be the future it's gonna be the now artificial intelligence um and number one's akira because you know it's arguably the greatest anime ever created and it has everything it has uh motorcycle chases it has shootouts it has psychic kids becoming giant flesh monsters all kinds of things. What it's more crazy. could you ask for? <laughs> I don't know what else you could ask yeah. <laughs> or what else you could put in the movie. Exactly. Um, my number five is Lady Snowblood, uh, which I've mentioned a couple of times on the show before. The film that definitely didn't influence Kill Bill at all. Don't ask Tarantino about it. Um, number four is Harakiri. Again, go listen to our episode on that. That was pretty early on. That was uh, over a year ago at this point. Um Number three is the human condition. I'm looping in all three in here because it's te- it's technically uh, labeled as one complete nine and a half hour picture. Um, this is one of the most dynamic and engaging, like humanistic war dramas that I've ever seen, and especially considering it's from the late '50s and early '60s, is just even more mind-boggling that it's able to be as engaging as it is across nine like like almost 10 hours of content so if you have the time definitely check this one out um number two is your name uh which is an anime that just it blew me away when i watched it because i wasn't expecting much and then there were several twists later on that that were that just twisted my head in the best possible way number one is one cut of the dead uh one of my all-time favorites um uh one of the rare hundred percenters on rotten tomatoes uh this is a sort of zombie comedy that i think everyone should check out without looking into it at all because it is hilarious and it is great so i just watched the remake Uh that is coming out there's a French remake of it. Really? Yes, from the director of the artist 
Weird. And it references the original film and has the creator of the original film in it. Wow. It All is right, well. I'm gonna add something else to my to my watch list. I guess <laughs> it's it's called it's called Final Cut. It looks like yes. Oh, Rowan! <laughs> like I immediately put the original on my watch list because I'm like, yeah, this is so much fun. I can't imagine what the Japanese version of this. Yeah, would it be. is truly amazing. Um, uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because now you can watch the final cut when it's available. Of course, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I probably wouldn't have known about it for a long time if not for that. Um, yeah, I got a screener. I think it was a Kino nice. Lorber release, so it'll probably come out on their streaming service because they have their own. Whoa, they're fancy that way. Yep. Uh, our final category is the decade, the 1950s, uh, midway through the 20th century. Uh, Shane, your top five. I have a feeling we're going to get a lot of classics on both of our lists. Um, I think my whole list is just classics. Yeah. <laughs> um, number five, The Bridge on the River Kwai, one of the greatest war movies ever made. God, the cast in this is so impressive with Alec Guinness, William Holden, Jack Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, Sunset Boulevard. The greatest use of, you see that? That's my body there. You're wondering how I got here. <laughs> um, just also William Holden, uh, Gloria Swanson, amazing. Mrs. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. <laughs> um, number three is On the Waterfront. I love this movie. This is like the actor studio brought to life. <laughs> the method on display, Brando. Uh, Carl Malden, Lee J. Cobb could have been a contender. Um, number two is The Searchers, the greatest John Wayne performance ever. Um, this is such a sprawling and impressive and complicated Western, which is really shocking. This is a lot more complicated than most Westerns from the 1950s. And number one, the greatest faith-based epic of all time. They don't like make faith-based movies like this anymore. It's Ben-Hur. I love this film to pieces. Charlton Heston and everybody else involved in this movie absolutely killed it. Jack Hawkins again. Yeah. What, what, what a decade. <laughs> um, won 11 Academy Awards. And I just imagine being there that night and just being like, well, none of you stand a chance. <laughs> Um, my number five is 12 Angry Men. Uh, I just watched Network for the first time and sit and it just made me appreciate Sidney Lumet's other work like even more. They, he's just so skilled, so stunning. And I got a recommendation for his book uh, on directing that I have to check out now. Uh, number four is Paths of Glory. Uh, Kirk Douglas giving just a dynamite performance in a movie that's not so much war. It's more what happens after uh, there's an accusation uh, when it comes to um, to war crimes. Um, number three is Throne of Blood. Uh, the uh, This one is Kurosawa because uh, there's no rule yes. about using him here. Uh, and it is his adaptation of Macbeth. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just, th- th- this movie, I, actually, I like this adaptation better than any other adaptation of of Macbeth I've seen it's just so fascinating and so visually stunning uh number two is Night of the Hunter um which uh, apart from being one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen uh it has contributed so many like indelible images to the modern film landscape yeah um and number one is Rear Window uh Alfred Hitchcock's in my opinion masterpiece of the 50s before Psycho 
Um, and yeah, uh, rear window, just Jimmy stores. It J Jimmy Stewart is amazing. Uh, and it somehow tells like one of the most tense stories you've ever seen from mostly one room, uh, which is absolutely wild and could not be done by most, uh, filmmakers. Um, yeah, we had very different what, lists and that's great. Yeah. Which is great. What a decade. Uh, and most of the ones on your list, I would have on my list just further down, slightly further down, maybe the next five. Um, um, to be perfectly honest, it's almost the same exact thing yeah. for me. <laughs> um, so that was our discussion on Tokyo Story and all of the ensuing categories. Thank you all out there for listening. Uh, Shane, if people would like to hear more from you, where can they go? Head to the Wasteland Viewer Instagram page where you can see me shamelessly plug all the things that I do from my own podcast, The Cinematic Wasteland and The Wasteland Vintage Roadshow, to my writings at Sif Pop, Scribe Magazine, and Guy at the Movies, and the podcast from Scribe, and most importantly, the my YouTube channel, The Wasteland Reviewer YouTube channel, where I have my three weekly shows. Rowan pops up a lot, and I review basically anything and everything all of the time. <laughs> Um, you can find me at thelenientcritic.com uh, or at um, Bits of Joel on Twitter or Roan About on Letterboxd and Instagram. Thank you once again for listening. Next week, we are talking Ingmar Bergman. We are going to be talking about his 1963 drama, Winter Light. So if you want to, check that out before, uh, before next week. It is on Criterion Channel and free on YouTube as well. Um, but thank you all out there for listening. We really, really appreciate it. And we will see you next week for another episode of Rowan and the Wasteland.